It has been a while. Uh, it's been almost, gosh, three months since I, four months since I posted the last, uh, last, uh, I want to say video because I started searching, uh, YouTube videos. Um, but podcast, let's get back into talking about the things that matter, guys. Um, I stopped doing them very regularly because the whole podcast, uh, revolved around, uh, small little health snippets for your commute and no one's commuting anymore <laughs> because well, this year is the 2020 and so I, I, this was happening during the coronavirus and so I, I kind of took a back seat in thinking that people aren't commuting anymore so they're not really going to the commute and then when they when things start back up again then I'll start uh, texting again or uh, podcasting again and then I went through some personal things that just completely derailed me. And I guess I'm just going to go ahead and talk about it here real quick uh, because it is definitely going to change what happened to me or what didn't happen to me at all. Um, what happened within my family um, it was really probably going to change the trajectory of where I'm going uh, with how I'm choosing to serve my community as a whole and how I want to help you guys and where, where I want to go with that. And, but my baby cousin, not, he wasn't a baby. He was 31 at the time. Uh, but he was a baby to me. He was the youngest of the generation. Um, he suddenly and unexpectedly, uh, died that, and it wasn't a car accident, which is the most common way young people die. Um, Anyways, that aside, let's get back on tracks. I still want to set the foundation, finish setting the foundation on what the basic tenets of what creates health. Okay. So we finished up our series on nutrition and why nutrition is of quintessential importance in creating health, right? You have to give your body the building blocks in order to make any changes possible, right? So now we're going to move into the movement section. Um, so the whole purpose of movement is to stress your body in such, in, uh, in such a way that it needs to adapt to the coming change. And so movement is important uh, because there are two types of stress, right? Well, people like to say there are two different types of stress, but there's really, there's really, there's really not. It's, there's, there's stress and then there's recovery, right? There's, your body will continually, continually degrade and let, because your body is lazy. <laughs> Humans are just like quintessentially like lazy. Our body's really good about preserving energy. It's not necessarily lazy. That's probably the bad, that's probably a poor uh, representation, right? There, where we are deeply, deeply, deeply ingrained or entrenched in patterns and processes that will lead to our survival, right? We're, we're very judicious about our energy because if we can sustain ourselves on the, the smaller amount of energy we can sustain ourselves on, the more likely we will be to survive, correct? Right? So we're very judicious. Our body is very judicious with how it spends or chooses to spend energy. So if we don't have to fortify ourselves in certain areas in order to survive, then our body will choose not to do it. So if our daily lives only need X 
amount of muscle tissue, then it'll only maintain X amount of muscle tissue. This is why we go to a gym because we go to a gym, we lift heavy weights, and <laughs> we lift heavy weights for uh, a consistent period, and then our body's like, and our body starts to think, hey, maybe I need to lay down some muscle here so we can lift these heavy weights without hurting ourselves in the future, okay? So we're just gonna go ahead and lift those lifts up, or uh, put down some muscle, put down some more muscle, put down some more muscle, and that leads to denser and stronger muscle tissue. Um, but muscle tissue is very metabolically costly. So if you're not doing that on a regular basis, your body's gonna be like, well, we don't need this anymore. Just get that out of there. <laughs> and so that's why you have to do, do exercise with any type of regularity. But let's, go back to even why it is important to why, why why movement in general is important we're not even talking about like getting like yoked right we're just talking about like movement why why is movement so important in general there's a bunch of different philosophies on this but one that i like to subscribe to um is very similar philosophically to a a rant that or not it's not even a rant it's actually a very well-presented um, argument by, a, I think he's a physiologist, neurophysiologist. Um, he did a TED talk. His name is Daniel Wolpert. That's spelled W-O-L-P-E-R-T. And then his first name is Daniel. So if you Google Daniel Wolpert uh, on YouTube and uh, bring up the search for the video that says uh, why why we have brains or something like that. So his whole uh, postulate is that we the only reason why humans have brains to the extent that we do, because we have the most um, intricate and advanced brains of any other species on the planet. This is arguably why we are the predominant species that quote unquote rule the planet. We definitely exert more of an influence on the planet than any other species there. And I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of, um, animal, animal biologists and perhaps like proteobiologists might have an argument with me, uh, about that, but it's inarguable that we, we take up a lot of real estate on the planet, right? <laughs> like as far as our carbon footprint and stuff is concerned. Anyways, we're able to do that, uh, because of uh, the complexities of our brains and the capacities of our brains. And so many people have theorized on like how, how we evolved this brain. Like what, like what's the purpose of it, right? And so his whole thing is the only reason we have brains is because we are the complexities of our movement. And I, I really, in one of his bullet points of his argument is uh, an animal called the sea squirt who has some sort because animals that move tend to have nervous systems some on somewhere on the spectrum of really archaic forms of a nervous system and up into the nervous system that we as humans have right and so uh this sea squirt has this um type of nerve this a variation of a nervous system uh, that you might not recognize as a nervous system, but it has the basic principles that would classify it as a nervous system. 
and so it wanders around the ocean until it decides it's going to find a spot that's going to stay for the rest of its life. It pops itself down there and then eats its own nervous system for survival and sustenance. And so it resorbs its, its nervous system because it's not moving, so it doesn't need to, it doesn't need to have a nervous system anymore. Um, so because these human, us as humans have like such wonderful dexterity and capacity of movement, this is why we have developed really, really, um, intricate brains that have, or highly evolved and advanced brains that uh, allow us to have this higher order of thinking. Cause we actually have the three layers to our brain. We have the, the inner uh, lizard brain, and then we have the mid like doggy brain and then we have the cortical higher function analytical thinking human brain right on top um, we so the so how how our nervous system works is in a feedback loop and so a lot of people think that it's either it's like like one way or the other way it's either brain coming down and telling our body what to do but it, uh, oh, something that I want to make sure that you're thoroughly acquainted with is this concept of reception and feedback loops. Our body has a myriad of different sensors, chemoreceptors, baroreceptors, uh, pro different types of proprioceptors, which are types of mechanoreceptors, and all kinds of just receptors that sense everything that sense the environment both our internal environment and our external environment and it, all this information gets fed up to our brain and our brain takes it makes its understanding of what's going on and then makes decisions about how to help us survive better i'm just gonna let you sink into that for a second so it takes information from the outside does something with it and then makes decisions about how to survive better. And so that becomes, so a large part of these, not all of the receptors, obviously, you have the chemoreceptors, the baroreceptors, the thermoreceptors, all kinds of other things, but a large part of our musculoskeletal system and our movement system feeds the brain through mechanoreceptors, right? Those are movement receptors. And so a large part of the cortex of our brain receives information about where our bodies are in space. So if we don't move, we remember this whole concept of the gym, you go to the gym because your brain wants to make the next time you lift that heavy ass weight a lot easier, right? <laughs> if we're going to do this for every, every day for the rest of our life, maybe we should lay down more muscle tissue to make this easy in the future, right? So the same thing happens with our brain and movement programs, right? And so if we're moving, if we walk every day, your body gets really good at walking, right? If you do yoga every day, your body gets really do good at doing yoga. That's why you always want to do all kinds of different things, right? Because the better, the all kinds of different things that you do, the more capacity that your brain has. Because if you stop doing those things, you lose that capacity because your brain doesn't want to um, retain those neural programs because it is metabolically, um, costly. So, so it'll just resorb it, right? So we've actually seen this. There's multiple studies published in the Lancet Journal of, uh, 
healthy aging and both physio uh, physiology that show a correlation between dementia and lack of physical activity and or physical fragility in older age associated with dementia and the converse of people with advanced uh, dementia finding some solace or amelioration of symptoms with exercise training. Huh. Well, that's pretty cool. <laughs> right? And so th these are the kinds of things that lead me to believe that movement's kind of important. And so that's our, that's, we're talking about physical movement in that respect too. But I also don't want to discount all these other receptors that I was talking about. Uh, chemo, chemo receptors, thermoreceptors, thermoreceptors. Let's talk about thermoreceptors for a second. We're, when we're talking about like things like, well, I guess that's, yeah, things like uh, uh, the Wim Hof breathing. So for those of you who aren't familiar with what Wim Hof, um, who Wim Hof is, <laughs> he's this little corpse guy uh, that's very, has very sage wisdom, right? He just decided that he was going to uh, hyperventilate and then hold his breath for a really long time. And he found that he derived a lot of positive benefits for him. And he ended up breaking a bunch of world records as far as um, exposure to cold and holding his breath in extreme conditions or doing extreme things. And he holds multiple world records for his physical feats of, uh, I don't know outside of the realm of normal physiology, like his ability to do things that are classified as superhuman, right? And so what they, they, so they studied him because anyone who's kind of like outside of the realm of our normal continuum, everyone's like, well, what are they doing? Like what's happening here? So um, they did a bunch of, uh, they tested him and like a yogi and then a monk and they wanted to see who, was best at uh, elevating their HRV. HRV is a heart rate variability. So that's a, I don't want to get into all the particulars, but basically it's a good measure of your pure sympathetic tone. So your sympathetic tone, it, when simplified, we're talking about our autonomic nervous system. We can talk about conscious thought, which, and then we can talk about subconscious thought. So subconscious thought, is the indirected, like you are not consciously directing the autonomic part of your nervous system. So, and there, and it conducts a bunch of different processes. There's two branches. There's the sympathetic branch and the parasympathetic branch. And there's a very strongly held belief with, um, and it's looking like the new research is suggesting that we might have a third branch. <laughs> uh, there's good evidence for that. Uh, but the traditionally accepted two branches are parasympathetic and sympathetic. So sympathetic would be your uh, fight and flight, fight, flight, and freeze response. So that's going, charging, moving, pushing forward, challenge, stress, right? And then your parasympathetic is your rest, digest, recharge. Um, resting and rebuilding from the stress that you are experiencing. Um, 
And so our bodies work in cycles like this in where we stress our body and then we recover from it, stress our body and recover from it. And thereby we can or do create a wider continuum in which we can exist. So what that means is, um, so why you want a larger continuum in which to exist means that you can live your life more fully exactly how you want to live it. And so, for example, if you don't exercise, say you don't exercise and you sit on your butt and you probably take 2000 steps a day, blah, 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 blah. And then you do that for 20 years. Your body gets really good at sitting on your butt and watching TV or reading the newspaper or whatever you've chosen to do or code for 14 hours a day. Your body gets really good at coding for 14 hours a day. But say you want to take your family to a trip uh, to Disneyland. You think you're going to feel real good <laughs> at the end of that trip? That's like 30,000 steps a day. <laughs> like you're going to be in so much pain. You're like, your muscles are going to be on fire. They're burning. <laughs> And uh, so the, the goal of movement every day in as many ways as possible is in order to make sure that your capacity is nice and wide. Okay. So like if you are, if you just sit in one position for your entire, entire life, like this, this is what happens with our society when we're sitting in front of a computer, we're hutched in front of a computer, our head's like just a little bit forward from where it should be. Our shoulders are rolled forward because we're grabbing our mouse and we're typing on the keypad. And then our head gets stuck in that position. We can't even like pull it back over our shoulders anymore. And even if we try to pull it back over our shoulders, the, the, the rigid tissue on the front of our chest and neck will actually pull the rest of us into a weird position. And you're not able to actually like, hold yourself properly because everything's stuck and reinforced in the position that you held for so long. So you actually have to reorient those fibers to pull yourself back into normal position. So the more regularly and frequently you can stretch yourself to the edges of your continuum of movement or a continuum of how, how long can you hold your breath if you hold, if you practice like the Wim Hof if you practice holding your breath for as long as you can every day of your life you think in 20 years you might be able to hold your breath for longer of course you will right your body your mitochondria get really good at processing the oxygen that you already have and so you can survive on less and less and less and less oxygen which is a great thing to do if you're looking to survive and and just have get the most out of life because whatever life throws at you, you have a better opportunity to be able to meet the challenge. So this is why movement is so important. And I really, really hope I've inspired you. And if you uh, if I haven't, oh well, well uh, I'm just going to keep on talking. <laughs> and, and hopefully something catches your fancy at some point. I really appreciate you listening and chiming in today. And I hope you join me for this journey. Thank you.